Okay. Second Kings chapter five. Pinch hitting in a lot of ways. And uh, so, no choir special, no special. I was talking to uh, a few this morning about the title for the message, uh, Seven Ducks in a Muddy River. And uh, we're not talking about duck hunting, but we'll get to what the ducks represent in just a second. In Second Kings chapter 5, uh, I'll ask everyone to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Second Kings chapter 5, and let's, matter of fact, this morning, here's what I would like for you to do. I want everybody to follow along with me and read out loud with me. You ready? Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. But he was a he was mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for having the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would bless the service. Thank you for already giving us blessings and souls for our labor. Thank you for Bible school, watch over our church camp, and thank you for so many of our volunteers. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for helping me read, and even if I did mess up, I got tongue-tied during the wedding yesterday, and it happens uh, every now and then to the best of us uh, trying to just read this here. The key phrase to this whole passage this morning is... But he was a leper. You know, you can be, uh, and we'll get it right into the first point this morning, that uh, thinking about a mighty man, you think about it, this fellow was like, I remember one of the most impressive things about the 1991 uh, Gulf War, that initial attack on Iraq and everything, was we that we had a leader. The leader was General Norman Schwarzkopf. Matter of fact, his inspiration and his leadership, we hardly lost any casualties. It was just almost flawless. Of course, we just kind of more or less was the tip of the spear. We really just kind of uh, just barely invaded. We didn't go all the way to Baghdad at that time, so there wasn't as many losses of lives. And we, we basically stopped their invasion of Kuwait. But his fearless leadership, think about this, this was like him. He was a popular guy. He was the president's of king of Syria's right-hand man. Naaman was a great leader, honorable. What does the Bible say, though? But he was a leper. Do you realize this? You can be a great person this morning, a nice guy. Man, Brother Michael, I, you know, I, I just... I talk about my memo Reese every now and then for an example of different things. And if she gets a chance to listen to this, uh, she would be proud because this is one of the things she's always, she said, when the mail, when the bill comes in the mail, I turn around and send it right back with a check in there. It's going right. Pay my bills way ahead of time. 
And so she's proud of that fact that she's always been prompt and all those things. But you know, you can be, you can pay all your bills on time. You can just uh, be a great person. You can give to charity. You can be a volunteer at the uh, local uh, Lions Club, Civics Club, Kiwanis Club, this club, be a deacon in the church. But all of us are still sinners. But he was a leper. And that represents in the Bible many times can represent sin. And here in this case, it, it's what we're going to look at it as, uh, as symbolically speaking. He was a great man, honorable man. He paid all his bills on time. He graduated magna cum laude. He didn't graduate, thank the laude. He graduated at the top of his class. He was a great and honorable man. But he was a leper. He was a sinner. You know, we think about what the Bible tries to say about for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a very famous verse, Romans 3.23. Some of you even know, you may not remember where it's located, but in Romans 3.10 it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Nobody is right with God apart from Jesus Christ. Nobody is. So the whole thing about verse 1 is that He was a sinner. No matter His stature. No matter what He had done in life. No matter who you are this morning. I got... I was... uh, just excited when I got the phone call, actually the text, and then later on the phone call from Miss Holly, and uh, saying that Hunter had been saved, her son, Denise's grandson. I know she's proud. And saying that he had got saved, would you talk to him, make sure, and all that? I said, sure, be glad to. Will I be around? I will. I was. And so I was waiting, and I get tickled whenever I talk to young people. And I was asking Hunter uh, about if he understood what sin was. And he explained it to me. It's anything you do bad. I said, Hunter, have you ever sinned? Yes, I have. I said, have you ever told a lie? Yes, I have. Have you ever been mean to your sister? Yes, I have. (laughs) And I'm sure Maddie's got the end of it every now and then. Most children don't want to say the word hell. I said, why did you ask Jesus to save you? Because I want to go to heaven, and I don't want to go to the bad place where the devil lives. (laughs) That's right. And that is a good reason to want to get saved. Number one, yes, I want to go to heaven. Number two, there's only two destinations. I don't want to go to the bad place where the devil lives. Why did he have to do that? Hunter is six years old. You know, you one thing 
Karen led another six-year-old to the Lord. That's very, matter of fact, she tried to put Paige off. Yeah. If I, she told Karen, if I die, I'm going to hell. I am not waiting anymore. You don't have to be a theological expert. You don't have to know definitions of big words to be saved. But you do have to know this one thing. And both those kids, six years old, those were the two youngest. Like I say, we are, you know, Karen and I on the same page that we are ultra care. We put Taylor off over a year. want to make sure nothing wrong holly said i wasn't sure whether to question or not nothing wrong with making sure nothing wrong whatsoever nothing wrong with that but they had to know one thing you cannot be saved unless you realize you have sinned that's why you need a savior both of them clearly clearly understood they were sinners Naaman was a sinner. Every president we've ever had has been a sinner, some more than others. <laughs> Never mind, sorry. And <laughs> I know, but back to the message. We all have to realize we're a sinner. Everybody, and for all of sin, there's none righteous, no, not one. Point number two. He was definitely a leper, and someone shared the good news. Now, let's look at the rest of the chapter. Now, the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel. Well, they brought back a little girl, a young girl they had brought back. The Bible here says that she was a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, would God... Now think about this. These are your captors, basically. They apparently were halfway decent to them. Would, hey, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And just looking at this, number one, I put in there this little maid told how Naaman could be healed. You know, think about this. Somebody told you... How to be saved. Somebody shared with you the good news, how, how that you could be cleansed, how that you could receive forgiveness. You know, isn't it great that God loves us unconditionally? I heard this, this week some great news of a, of a prodigal child this week who, who says, is there possibility for me to come home? And, and I'm just thrilled with that good news. Folks, God loves you with unconditional love. Did you know that? He, yes, He stands against sin. Jesus, whenever the woman was caught in adultery, He told, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Nobody threw the stone. But then He told the woman, go and sin no more. Yes, God loves everybody unconditionally, but He wants us to live a holy life, a separate life. And, you know, think about this. Somebody shared some good news so that you, so to speak, could have a 
come back to God. We lost it with Adam. Everybody has sinned, been a sinner ever since Adam has sinned. Folks, whenever a child is born, they're born with sin pulsing in their blood. They are sinners from conception. You and I are. There's no, you don't get a, become a sinner by sinning. You sin because you're already a sinner. You can't help it. You need saving. And many of you are saved this morning. If you weren't, think about it this way. I love simple. I love it when problems are simple. <clears throat> Trey came to me last night and said, uh, your brake light's out. I said, really? Apparently, him and Jason put it back in. They just seated it real good because it fixed the problem. I love simple. I love simple solutions, simple problems. And God made a simple gospel. That all you got to do, you don't have to go through steps. You don't have to be baptized. Uh, those are just public acts of obedience to identify you as a child of God. I'm not ashamed of my Savior. And this little girl, think about it, think about it. A little girl. Some of you say, well, when I study the Bible long enough and I get all the answers... Then I'll witness to somebody and invite them to church. You won't ever do it. Just, God would rather use us with no knowledge than have great knowledge and not ever use it for Him. Share the news. A little girl told Him how to get clean. You can go visit the prophet that's in Israel. He can clean you because He serves the living and the true God. Tell somebody this week about Jesus. Invite somebody to church. If you don't have the courage to witness to them, just invite them to church. I'll preach to them. <laughs> I don't mind it at all. Bring them to church. Invite them to church. It just come. Bring them. And if Sunday morning's too crowded... Come Sunday night. <laughs> it's less of a crowd and we're relaxed and informal. Come on. We'll enjoy it. And all of you plan right now to save your vacation for a church camp or vacation Bible school next year because you love the Lord. Can I get an amen? Uh-huh. You all ready, aren't you? Yep. I'm saving a week's vacation for church camp or vacation Bible school, because I want to give a week to the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? Brother Michael, you done gone to meddling now. Oh, man. <laughs> That's right. What are we going to do with the time that we have? What are we going to do with our resources God has blessed us with? <clears throat> Trey, me and you only got two weeks vacation. Some in here got 400 weeks vacation. 400 weeks. We earned in our overtime this week. We were loading ice chests and packing water at 10.30 at night, just moving stuff, moving stuff. I said, this is where we earn our overtime. Of course, he already knew that when he signed on the dotted line. Someone share with somebody the good news. I've got it right there, right there in the bulletin. Do it! Share with somebody the good news. 
All these kids saved. Hey, do y'all know God is still in the saving business? He still saves souls. Isn't that great? Well, the little girl told him. And to make a long story short, he sent a letter. The king of Syria helped out and said, Hey, can Naaman come over? Oh, well, okay. So finally, Naaman gets in a chariot. Well, remember, he is General Norman Schwarzkopf of the day. He's not going to drive up in a Ford Pinto. Okay. <laughs> He's driving up in a gold-plated chariot of some sort with decorations and an army decals on it. Alright, so the Bible says that. Matter of fact, Elisha heard about the king of Israel throwing a fit, thinking, well, there's nothing I can do about the fellow's leprosy. Elisha said, send him on to me. That's verse 8. So, and notice the reason why. So that the people in Syria can know what? That there's a prophet. Of, and he meant of the true Lord God in Israel. So, verse 9 is where we're picking up the story. Man, I've got 35 more minutes to preach. That's good. Norman, you got me up here early. Well, <clears throat> verse 9. Some of you... I was only kidding. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, that thy flesh may come again unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. For those of you who have not gotten it yet, that's the seven ducks in the muddy river. Okay? Not, okay, get it? Ducks this way. Seven times in, because he says the Jordan is a filthy river. That'd be like the Mississippi. It's not exactly northern Arkansas. Okay? (laughs) Where you can almost, there's some... Places where you can just look like you can drink out of the streams in northern Arkansas. Mississippi doesn't look that way. Okay? And uh, so he's, he gets this here. Notice verse 11 really quickly. He says, uh, But Naaman was wroth or angry, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and, and wave his little handkerchief and lay his hand and say, Be healed in the name of the Lord. Bow! and have two assistants to catch them from behind. I've seen that done on TV. So I know how they look. <laughs> but I've never done that. But I don't. we don't have to. God still, He can heal somebody if He wants to, but He doesn't need me, and He doesn't need a handkerchief, and He doesn't need, he doesn't need us. He, he can just heal. We can pray. And God can heal him if He wants. But basically this. He was expecting a show. But he didn't get one. See, you don't get saved. You don't have a right relationship with God by putting on a show. You don't follow the Lord by because, oh, the preacher puts on a show. All God wants from you is obedience. Matter of fact, that's how you got saved. The Bible says that to call on the name of the Lord, realizing that you're a sinner. It just it lays it all out there, and it says, 
If you'll call on Him, if you'll ask Him, it's a free gift. It's sitting up here. Just come and take it. It's free. And you know, you think, well, that's work, me taking it. No, He he did all the work. All you have to do is accept it. All the work's done. It's just accepting it in your heart. He prayed. I said, Hunter, where does Jesus live? In my heart. I said, how'd He get in there? I asked Him to come in. He did all the work. That's simple. He was wanting to show. He said, I've seen that river before. That river runs right by Samaria. I just, I don't really care to get in the muddy river. He said, what about this and what about that one? Matter of fact, he went away still covered in leprosy. He was headed to the house. Now think about this. His servant said, Master, all you got to do is just give it a try. Just go on down there. Listen to me very closely. Now what I alluded to in the bulletin for you and for you to think about as you look at those passages and those verses, the Holy Spirit is the ultimate encourager. Matter of fact, you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit convicting you in your heart. But think about this. The Holy Spirit, right now, now we do this, and you try to teach people this all the time. And that is this. All this preaching is about to wind up, and I'm about to call Brother Norman and the musicians in just a second for the invitation. That's really the whole focus of this whole message, and should be every message. Now, Sure, we may not always visibly see a move. But the Holy Spirit is always working. He's the ultimate encourager. Now, some of you, listen to me very closely. Is the Holy Spirit using your life to encourage or discourage? Are you, do you lift, do you draw people closer to God? Or do you kind of by your actions, run them away from the Lord. Whenever people come around you and they do they hear anything about the Lord or they just hear stuff about everybody else but the Lord? I mean, what comes out of our lips? We're either encouraging or discouraging. We're lifting up Jesus or we're not. And, and, and by our actions, we can actually discourage people from ever getting saved, from ever living for the Lord. May we be an encourager. Verse 13. My Father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, you would have done it. He says, just go wash. And notice what happens. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Simple obedience. Book of Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul and his buddy, his sidekick, his tonto, was in jail. Acts 16, 
verse 30. The Word of God says, And brought them out, I'm about the jailer, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And thy house, which means, and your whole family can be saved too, because he was worried about them. He knew if he got saved, his family was in danger. Apostle Paul went ahead and summed it up. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. Guess what? He had the preachers over to his house. The fellow got saved, and he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and his whole family, immediately. It says straightway in the King James. It just means immediately. God can change your life. And by the way, if you're backslidden this morning, it's time to come home. It's time to say, I'm tired of playing and going through the motions. We started a Bible study here a while back. I've got this little bracelet on. Matter of fact, I was asked by Steve's daughter, Stephanie. She said, what in the world? What does that mean, not a fan? I said, uh, well, I'm not a fan of Jesus. What? I said, fans just sit in the bleachers. I want to be a follower and I want to get in the ball game. I just don't want to be a distant admirer. He's a good fella. Great guy. Wonderful. I want to follow him. Prison. Or even Bog Springs. Whatever. Give your heart. Give your life. Be a follower. Give your vacation time. Not to people. To the Lord. That's the difference between a fan in the pew and a follower in the game. The Bible calls it a fight, actually. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places as we prepare for a hymn invitation. Father, as we bow before you, I ask that you'll just please help us this morning to allow your Holy Spirit to be our encourager. Just as this simple act of obedience by Naaman was an awesome display of simple childlike faith and the power that you're willing to change people, not only on the outside, but change them on the inside. I thank you for the ones who have been saved thus far this summer, and I pray that you would continue to bless our church. Help us to constantly lean on you. In Jesus' name, amen.